0: Steps up You're listening to the ESPN Footy Podcast.
1: Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast. We're back to talk about round seven and what a round it was. There were some big results, some beautiful Indigenous jumpers for Indigenous round. We absolutely love to see them. And we had a very special debut from the pod, so we can't wait to embarrass her and talk about that. But before we begin today's episode, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri, Gadigal and Bunurong people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you've got me, Marissa Lordanik, Sarah Burt, and fresh off her AFLW debut, is Adora McClay. So, We need to start there. We're going to embarrass you quickly off the top and then move into actual footy chat, but it's a huge congratulations to you finally making your debut. How are you feeling? How was it? It was, we were all so excited for you in the ESPN team. So tell us a little bit about it because it was a massive achievement for you.
2: Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It didn't feel real. It was very surreal. Um, It was literally the best week of my life. (laughs) Um, yeah, it was a very special day. Obviously, we would have liked to get the win, but um, yeah, I took it all in. It was the biggest crowd I've ever played in front of. Um, and yeah, everyone made it really special, which was nice.
1: We absolutely love it. And I suppose for people who don't know, like you haven't had the easiest run to get to this point. So give us the kind of like condensed version of what you've actually had to go through to get to this point.
2: Yeah, so I came uh, at the end of 2021, so fresh off year 12, got signed by the Giants by an in- for an injury replacement player because M. Goods, uh, um fell pregnant. And then in my first week, I tore my ACL and then obviously the two seasons in one year, so missed two of those. And then coming back, I had a stress reaction in my other foot. So then that probably put it out even more and then luckily got back, played a few practice games and yeah, finally got the call up, which was nice. We absolutely love to see it. Like I said, we,
1: like I said, the ESPN office was very excited for you. Our very own Matt Walsh went down to Morabin to watch you and was sending us all footage of you running out like a proud dad. It was very adorable, but we absolutely love it. We're just stoked that finally one of our interns has gotten on the park this season. So hopefully. Plenty more to come and a first win coming up soon as well. But let's get into some footy chat. We'll quickly recap the results because, like I said, there were some interesting games in Among Everything. So we started the round off with Adelaide beating the Bulldogs. So they remain 7-0 and, unfortunately, for the Dogs, they remain 0-7. So... Not fun for the doggies there. St Kilda defeated GWS, as we just mentioned, in his first game. Geelong defeated Frio. We had Hawthorne getting up over Sydney. Brisbane were the winners in the Q Clash. They beat Gold Coast. And Essendon defeated Richmond to round out Saturday's games. Then we had Sunday North Melbourne huge winners over Port Adelaide. Collingwood defeated Carlton. And Melbourne ended the round beating West Coast in quite a comprehensive result and that's the kind of game we'll start with because don't think the result was anything unexpected Alyssa Bannon was absolutely sensational with her bag of goals I've been such a fan of hers for ages so I just love to see I love when she gets the ball and she just zooms like I just it really gets me it's so good but um the most zoomies she does she's like but like controlled zoomies proper zoomies not like a a cat losing its mind um at like 9 p.m at night but um the most interesting part I think of this game was not on the field it was off the field and it was west coast coach Michael Pryor's comments after the game should start this with that should start this conversation with the fact that he has since apologized for these comments and basically walked them back. But after this game, he was saying, and I'm going to stuff it up, but here we go, Um, basically saying how, you know, their last year's premiers, uh, Melbourne, West Coast were last year's Wooden Spooners, how we play a team like that is beyond me but that's what you get with fixturing like this that was his comments so it definitely stirred some conversations so i would love both of your thoughts on this i'll go to you first sarah your thoughts on his comments remembering that he has walked them back since but is there something in there or was he completely off the mark
0: Uh, I think, as you said, he's apologised. So we acknowledge that. But uh, when I first heard that, I think he's completely off the mark. And I think that he has done a disservice at the time before he'd apologised. He was doing a disservice to the league by saying that because there's already enough people talking about the disparity between scoring. There's enough people trying to compare the men's and the women's game and and all all those other things rhetorics that we hear, whether we think they're valid or not. And I think to have one of the league's own coaches, very well-known coach say something like that, it's sort of, it, it does the whole league a disservice because it's, it's he suggesting that, um, you know, do we go back to a conference system? Do we play, you know, like, yeah. And no one wants the conference. <laughs> I don't want to speak for everyone, but when the conference system was happening, we were having conversations about, well, how do you gauge who's the best side? How do you how do you actually be excited about winning a grand final in a conference system when you're not matching up against, it's not an equal playing ground? So I think to say something like that, it's sort of a bit immature in a way. And I think that's probably why he has come out and apologised, A, because everyone slammed him, but B, it's a very unrealistic way to look at things. We know that this league is developing. We know that um, there's disparity between some of the teams that have been in this for seven years and some that haven't, but we need to acknowledge that there's going to be a teething period and I know that it feels like it's been a long time, but it's only been seven years, so we're 143 years behind the men's league not that we compare them at all but we need to be mindful that someone has to be the bottom of the ladder someone has to be the top of the ladder and there's teams in between and if you're at the bottom of the ladder you can't just start flogging everyone that's above you you need to look you know internally and try and fix that rather than blaming the other side for being better than you
1: it was really interesting as well cuz i was listening to the credit to the girls pod that's the the afl's official women's podcast and they pointed out that this is actually the first like team from last year's finals west coast have played so it's like they've kind of had an easy run comparatively to other teams they've been playing teams that have been in and around their level um, and they will continue to play teams that are kind of in and around their level. Their last three games are Essendon, which, you know, they're a bit or well, a lot above them on the ladder at this point, but then they've got the Western Bulldogs and then their only other game is against Adelaide, which obviously is going to be a big game and a big um, result probably for Adelaide. Um, but yeah, it just, it felt um, almost knee jerky. It was very like, obviously you're upset about the result now and you've kind of almost reacted without thinking. So I think that's also why he then walked back the comments. I think there is also a conversation to be had, like no one's saying that the competition isn't fair because as he pointed out, we've got 18 teams in a 10 round season. So that's just like, that's inherently unfair. It's never really going to work there but I know you is an Imogen as well our other intern for ESPN we're talking about the fairness of the competition and you'll have an article up on espn.comau a little bit later this week so do you want to tell us basically what that article is about and where it fits into this conversation
2: yeah so I guess we were discussing I guess the fairness of having 18 teams and only playing 10 games and like you can look at I guess, North Melbourne last year, you would say they were probably a top four side, but they came eighth um, on the ladder and like slipped into the top eight. So, and they didn't, I guess, earn their second chance, but, and then you compare that to a team like Richmond who got out in straight sets. So I guess the ladder, I guess in that retrospect, it's, it's, there's a complete disparity, but on what he was saying, it was just, you're not the only team that has to play Melbourne. Like, unfortunately, that is what it is. And if you've got a young developing team, I think maybe the best thing is to face a team like Melbourne to see, I guess, what success looks like and how the good teams do it. But uh, I guess, yeah, to for as a competition, we need to be playing uh, more games. Um, there are teams in the AFLW who haven't even played against each other in the history, which is just <laughs> quite funny to look at it, <laughs> actually. <laughs> But yeah, just yeah, I guess a lot of the teams, even who are nearly in the top eight right now, um, haven't really even faced a top four side. So um, it is quite interesting to look at that. But yes, his comments were, I don't know. I think he was just kind of living in his own little West Coast world. But there are a lot of teams who have the exact same issue. But the fixture's been out for ages. I don't know. If the result went differently, he would have had a completely different response.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. He didn't whinge about it when the <laughs> fixture came out. And he pro- it's probably—it's unfair to the players as well because, like, the players don't get to really talk much post-match. So their coaches just come out and said, you know, this isn't fair on us. And it's like, well, the players are probably excited to get that experience. And one of his arguments was we're the, one of the youngest teams in the competition. Well, Have a look at some of the other sides, Um, have a look at the Western Bulldogs and have a look at some of the the sides that have been completely gutted, particularly some of the Victorian sides. Um, And, you know, don't speak on behalf of your players, because when you look at some of the teams that historically have been terrible and have slowly made their way up, like Richmond, have really come through and proven themselves in the last couple of years. And that is a credit to them, but they weren't whinging about having to versus you know Brisbane or Adelaide so I don't think it was fair of him to do that on behalf of the players either.
1: It's a really good point and I think there's a segue in there about you know players want to like test them they want to be playing games and you want to be playing games against the best teams as well because that's the kind of whole point of competition Um, but speaking of more games more opportunities it's a perfect kind of move into another topic of conversation that has popped up um just recently this week the w podcast over at the abc was saying that if the aflw has an average attendance of three and a half thousand or more put or more per game this season that will trigger something within the the cba or something basically if we get high enough average attendances this season, it means there will be an extra home and away game next season, which means more games, more opportunities for people to play, blah, 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 blah. It's a really interesting, I suppose, mechanism that, like, the extension of the season is dependent on crowds and attendances and things like that. I'm sure it's the case in probably other sports or has been the case in other sports to kind of prove that they're ready for expansion and extension and lengthening of the season and things like that. Um, So yeah, we need three and a half thousand as the average. I don't know if you guys know this, but the current average for this season, if I can find it, is 2,632. So a little way off that three and a half thousand mark. I would love both of your thoughts, obviously, as both player and fan and media and people who just care about footy here. How do you feel about the extension of the season being dependent on that clause and that hitting that metric? And is there anything more we can do to hit that three and a half thousand mark? Because at the moment, we're like, what, nine? Hundred, quick maths. I'm not a maths person. Nine hundred people off, and there's only three rounds of footy to go. So what's your take on this whole situation? Where do broadcast numbers
0: come into that? Are they included at all? Some spectators? Great
1: question. I don't think there's anything that I can see from like I said, I've gotten this from the W show and what they've posted on their social media is that it's about attendance seemingly Um, because my one argument
0: about that without knowing what clauses surround the broadcast side of things is that if you're going to schedule games at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon that I physically cannot get to then we are never ever going to hit that benchmark because Majority of the world is still at work. We physically cannot get there, even if we want to. Th- like that's just, that's my whole point. Like you ju- that's that's all I have to say. I find it really frustrating because it's like, well, you're giving us, you're giving us goals that are near impossible to reach.
1: Is how do you kind of see it as a, a player?
2: Yeah, it's definitely if they're going to make that a. I guess the trigger, then the fixed string has to be a lot better (laughs) than what it is. You know, they're 5pm and 11am games. No one's going to be getting to those games. And I I think also, especially that this is meant to kind of be the AFLW period, you know, with men in the off season. And I know from my media, it's just trade radio everywhere. (laughs) Like I'm not seeing any AFLW. So I don't know how the fans can really see much of what's going on there. And I guess that also puts a lot more pressure on the fans. Um, to get to games um, and the AFL is just kind of i guess shifting the problem over to them but i think a lot of more work needs to go into the promotion i guess the marketing of AFLW because pre uh, before the season was i guess sort of announced and like a f- couple weeks before the season started i didn't there wasn't i reckon they could have done a lot better in the marketing sense especially off the back of the matildas and everything
0: it's interesting though because i i agree with a lot of what you're saying but i also disagree to the point where i think They have put, I think there is a lot of time and money going into the marketing of AFLW. I acknowledge that um, we can always improve, but I do personally, and this is just an opinion, personally I think it's been pretty impressive. There was a big rebrand before this season and there's all new colours and like the AFLW launch was amazing. Um, they're getting a lot of, they're trying to mix in pop culture more so than they have previously with AFLW, which I think is a really good move because we know that a lot of the fans of AFLW are not traditional. They're not always people that have come directly across from loving the men's game. They're often people that have really found their place as becoming fans of AFLW. But I think that it's, um, something else that's really frustrating is, We know that they like to fill out the community grounds, all of that, but like they're playing in Springfield and if you live in Brisbane and you need to get there by 11am on Saturday or 5pm Friday, it's physically not going to happen. And again, like it's the location, it's the timing, it's all of that. Um, It's also the nature of the floating fixture that we often have. Like you don't actually, you can't plan ahead. You don't know where you're going or when you're going there. I think one thing I will say about the leveraging off the back of the Matildas' success is that Nicole Livingston did address this at at the start of the season and say they were deliberately trying to give the Matildas their time, which I think I actually respect. I think it's good because we know that there's traditionally some, particularly the NRL and the AFL, sometimes they clash with each other because they're trying to compete, but we know the reality is that a lot of the viewers and the fans are different. So um, I do understand what you're saying and I, in some respects I'm disappointed that we haven't seen a huge influx of new AFLW fans or attendance for that matter, but I'd like to see the broadcast numbers because even – As you say, for someone like me who works on a couple of games a week but then watches the rest of them, I'd be like on an aeroplane or in the car all weekend if I was trying to get to all of them. So I have it on KO all weekend. So, you know, that's a viewer for every single game and I can guarantee you there's a lot of people like that. So um, they need to be including that as well because that brings in revenue and that counts as well.
1: Yeah, I think the the thing about this is always that, it's a very multifaceted situation because as you've literally both just pointed out, it's not about just getting people to a stadium. It's, is that stadium actually easily accessible? Is it at a convenient time for people to be attending? If they can't attend, are there ways for them to watch it that actually – Um, prove to head office that there is support and people watching and getting their eyeballs on AFLW. So it's a really interesting topic of conversation. The one thing I wanted to point out, and it's maybe not that valid of a point, it was just something that kind of farted into my head. So I looked at like the highest averages so far this season. The AFLW Wikipedia page has really come through today. Um, The highest average attendance this season is Sydney with 4,365 people, they play at North Sydney Oval, they've played at Henson Park as well, so the people of Sydney are really getting behind the Swans. Adelaide is the second highest average attendance, followed by Melbourne, Geelong and Brisbane, who are all in like the high uh, 4,000s, low uh, low 4,000s, high 3,000s kind of area. And the thing that I was thinking about last season, which maybe influences the um, attendances and the numbers we see, blah, 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 was the huge push at the start of last season to move the Essendon-Hawthorne game to Marvel and they did. They listened to that and that game got 12,000 people. We're not getting anywhere near 12,000 people this season because we're generally speaking not playing at stadiums that have the capacity of allowing 12,000 people in. We also had that one game that was played as, at the MCG Um, Now I can't remember if it was as a standalone game or if it was a a double-header kind of curtain-raiser situation. But, again, that had like... It was a
0: double-header, I think. It was
1: like 17,000 people rocking up to watch a women's game because it was at the MCG, which is easily accessible and easy to get to and there's lots of space for people to get into. Um, So, yeah, I think there's so much more that kind of comes into this conversation than just more people need to get to the games, it's actually like, is there enough space for the absolute maximum amount of people to get here? Is it easy for them to get there? Because I know, for example, like even though Melbourne are probably packing out Casey Fields, if you live on the opposite side of town, you're not driving all the way to Casey. It's an absolute nightmare. There's no public transport out there. Like it's just not happening. And that's obviously... It's four hours. (laughs) It's it's a very very Melbourne example, (laughs) but I assume it would be kind of similar in the other states um, around the place. So it's a really interesting conversation and I think it's something that we're obviously going to have to watch because we all want more footy. um, And... I think the one thing about AFLW fans is that they are extremely passionate. So I do not doubt that they will rally and do whatever they can to boost this number up and try and get that extra game. But um, yeah, it's a very interesting conversation that we'll have to wait and see how it goes and whether we actually hit that trigger and get the extra game. But shall we move on to some other talking points from this round? Um, Really unfortunate one. Would prefer not to talk about it, but we have to. Um, We've had three confirmed ACLs this round. So it's Abby Ballard from Adelaide, Keely Queen from the Western Bulldogs in what was a very brutal, just bruising encounter between those two teams. And then Daria Daria Bannister from Essendon has also had a confirmed ACL rupture. We... (laughs) We talk about it every season. We've done this podcast for three seasons now. And even though, like, who does this podcast has kind of ebbed and flowed and changed, we always end up doing at least one episode where we're talking about ACLs because there's always a round where all of a sudden there's just an influx of them. So, for, for starters, wishing all three of those players smooth and speedy recoveries because it's absolutely shit part pardon my French. Um, but... What do we, what do we do? What do we, do? I know, is you wrote an article earlier this year about um, knees in the women's game specifically because it is such an epidemic, and it's not just in women's footy; it seems to be in women's sport more generally. So, what, what more do we do? How do we prevent these? I know that's the million dollar question, but what more do we need to be doing so we're not here talking about three players doing their ACL in one weekend?
2: Yeah, it's certainly an epidemic. Um, I guess it just it it goes back to just earlier education, like the injury prevention exercises. Because I know when I was like coming through like the academies and stuff like that, there wasn't a lot of emphasis on sort of that side until you got to your later years. But if you compare that to the boys, they start doing stuff at like under 12s. So it's such a difference. And I guess also what I found is... You play on complete different grounds, like the ter- each week. Like the community grounds that are played at, they're completely different from um, any other grounds. Like in the men's, I guess it's, they're more specific in the stadiums, but the community grounds are so different in the way they feel. But, yeah, it's it's really sad, especially um, it being sort of like a 12-month injury and it, nearing the end of this AFLW season. Um, it's It's really, really sad.
1: Sarah I know you have takes
2: on ACLs you are an
1: ACL hater as much as the two of us are how what are we what are we doing how do we stop having these conversations what what can we do is there anything we can do or do we just have to set aside a podcast every season to talk shit about the ACL
0: I hope not it's I mean it's interesting and it's good having Isadora here because we don't play so we don't know the ins and outs of that sort of preparation side of things but I did some research for a piece it was a couple of years ago now so um, we know that research is being done and it there has been more since that but we know that there's still research being done surrounding the hip placement of women because we don't know enough about that yet and because we haven't been allowed to play footy for as long as the men Um, we don't know exactly how our wider hips affect our knee placement, but we know there's a connection. Um, hormones affect that too. It's also, there's a lot of players who haven't come up through Auskick or haven't grown up playing. I mean, a lot of these players, we know like poor Ellie Bennetts, she was playing professional netball before she got plugged out of that into AFLW. And so she didn't grow up playing the game. So You know, netball and footy are completely, completely different sports and she didn't grow up honing her body to prevent an ACL. So that's another thing I don't know if maybe when we start to see in the next few years players who have grown up playing footy and have trained their bodies to, like is said, to train um, to avoid ACLs, um, maybe we'll see less of them, but the truth of the matter is we don't really have concrete, solid evidence as to why it keeps happening, and until we do, we're not
1: going to be able to prevent it. It's just so rough, and I think, yeah, the major factor is that we just, it's really criminally under-researched, considering how prevalent it is, and I know there are people trying to kind of catch up and do that research and find out what can we control, what can we um, improve so that the risks are decreased. Um, And I think the, the turf thing, you know, that's something that's within people's control. I know there's been lots of talk about even boots and how women's feet are different to men's feet. And if you're just wearing smaller pinker boots to signify that they're girl boots, not boy boots, um, that's something that, you know, manufacturers of boots and kit can control, um, even, you know, just I think the injury prevention and educating younger girls and also just, I suppose, um, encouraging that prevention and putting in that work in the gym to kind of prepare your body for footy and for other kinds of sports. It's all stuff that can be controlled it's just about um playing catch up unfortunately cuz um we it it's not an overnight fix unfortunately we need to kind of work up to a point where people are doing everything
0: well the afl the afl have their prep to play program is that something that you guys all are already doing
2: yeah definitely i would say our strength and conditioning coaches he is very much, like, he would love to find a cure to ACL tears. Um, and obviously, like, our bodies are built differently to our men's and our, like, wider hips and everything makes it more likely for us to tear our um ACLs. But um, I would say, yeah, I'll prep to train. But there's just such a big jump when you get to... I guess, the AFLW training um, compared to what you were doing previously. And I think that's why you also see a lot of girls, you know, getting like stress fractures and stuff because it's just such a big change from what you're doing previously. And I, in like especially AFL men's, you don't see like if you're training in the VFL, I guess it's quite similar in that fact that it's not as much of a jump but it's just such a big jump from I guess, you know, because – second tier is community footy and the jump from there to an actual professional standard is just so big. It's
1: it's crazy. And even just like in season, you and Imo were talking about like what constitutes a practice match or a scratch match for you guys. And that's not the same level as AFLW, but that's what you're using to then prepare to get to that level. It's kind of insane that that's, that's how we're preparing Um you guys. But yeah, like I said, we could do an ACL episode every season and it would be awful and we would hate it. But um, it's something that unfortunately we're going to have to keep talking about because it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight at the moment. And just reiterating, yeah, um hoping hoping uh, Abby, Keely and Daria are uh, wishing them all the best with their recoveries. But we'll move on to something a little bit more upbeat, a little bit lighter. Um, We need to talk about round eight because we have two incredibly spicy clashes coming up and it's very, very exciting. So we've got one V4 and two V3 this weekend. So it's Adelaide taking on Brisbane and Melbourne taking on North Melbourne. So for both of you, Which game are you looking forward to? Who are you actually tipping? What are you expecting to see from this contest? Because I reckon everyone has them highlighted as like, here we go, pre-finals. This is what I expect to see once we get to the end of the season. And it's all very, very exciting.
2: I'm keen to see how North Melbourne will go against Melbourne. I reckon that will be a real, like, I guess, to prove where they're at. They've, They've had some really, really good, good games and their players are starting to stand up. But, yeah, I think it'll be a real test to see how they'll do against Melbourne. And then with um, Brisbane and Adelaide, I'm kind of tipping Brisbane. I reckon they're due for a win at <laughs> Brighton Hones Arena. And I think after the shock against um, Collingwood, I think they've got a bit of redemption there. So I, I'm, tipping, I'm tipping Brisbane. I like it, Sarah. I I
0: um I like I like that tip. I think probably Adelaide uh in my opinion Adelaide are probably just too good. Um I think they know what they're doing, they're on a roll. Um and we know that they perform just so well at the back end of the season. Like they just know how to perform under pressure. Um, not that Brisbane don't. But I think um, Adelaide probably, uh, and as we can see on the ladder, I think they're just looking a bit more advanced this year. But we've seen them play each other before. You know, like it's going to be exciting, but we've seen it before. I agree with you, Is I think seeing how North will stack up against Melbourne is going to be really exciting because we, we haven't seen North play footy this well before and we haven't seen them um, really stack up against some of the, you know, well, last year's premiers really. So um, I am really looking forward to seeing how they perform. I'm also expecting some like multiple goals, bags of goals, some really high score lines and um, some, I reckon these two sides will push each other to have some really impressive individual performances. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with the Kate Hawes of the World and um, you know, and the three that we know um top the scoreboard every time for um for North Melbourne. So I think you're right, it'll be um it'll be a good one.
1: I'm i I'm really excited for both games. Um in my mind basically if North wanna be taken seriously for like premiership conversations, they have to beat Melbourne this weekend um and maybe that's too black and white but i really do think that if if they do want to actually like show off you know the that they've got premiership kind of material within them they need to bring it against the reigning premiers um and actually prove to everyone that they're not just kind of the best of the rest for kind of lack of a better explanation. So I'm really excited to see that. Also, we both know that they've both been um, putting up big scores rather like you just mentioned, Sarah. So I'm hoping that it is a high scoring encounter. Adelaide Brisbane. I I don't know. Cause like, I feel like both of these teams have a really Bad habit of being inaccurate at the absolute worst times. So, um, I'm hoping that this is another high scoring one, but I'm worried that this could descend into like who's more accurate or who's more inaccurate, but it actually helps them because they end up winning by like a point or two points or something stupid like that. But all I know for certain is that it's going to be two incredibly entertaining contests, but I think that's us done for today friends we know what games we're going to be looking forward to in round eight we've just spoken about them but we can't wait to join you next week to talk about round eight we'll only have two games to go before finals so we'll need to start talking about the top eight and how that's looking and what finals are looking like so there'll be plenty to enjoy make sure you join us next week and for all of your footy needs head over to espn.com.au but We'll catch you all next week.
0: Don't miss another episode of the ESPN Footy Pod by subscribing wherever you stream your podcasts.